Hello, and welcome to Sobercast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Good evening. I am Evelyn Turner. I am an alcoholic. And it's a real privilege to be asked to speak. Now, the pleasure may come later. Right now, it's not a pleasure. But But that is part of a miracle, to be asked to speak, when for years I was told to shut up. Not asked, told to shut up. And it's even suggested now from time to time for me to shut up. And incidentally, whatever I say... It's my own opinion of Alcoholics Anonymous. As such, no one speaks for AA. Of course, (laughs) I have been asking my home group to keep my opinions to myself. (laughs) But one of the nice things about being a speaker, most of you are polite enough to just grimace and not say anything until the meeting is over. Someone told me a couple of months ago, I had spoken in California, she said, oh, I remember you, she said, and at that particular banquet, one of the uh, companions said, my God, the main speaker is a woman. And I thought tonight, I wonder how many are saying the same thing. But one nice thing, they did say woman. They didn't say lady, Cecil. I know, I know what he said, nobody is thinking. I'd love to change this story. I've told it so much, it's a couple of people out there in the audience I know tonight that could better tell it than me, and will tell me when we get back to Washington what I left out. (laughs) But I am originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a good city to be from, they say, city that is known affectionately as the city of brotherly love, a name I took quite literally. I tried to love every brother I met. (laughs) And what with the changing times, I'm so glad it wasn't named the city of sisterly love. Because I don't know what kind of story I would have had to tell. And I say that because I was willing to go to any length for a drink. Just thank God I didn't have to go but so far, but I was willing. Now, not always able, but willing. You know, often you get misquoted. But one nice thing about the fellowship, it is just that. People will always help you with your inventory, especially... And one time when I was showing, one of the many times I was showing lack of humility, one of the young men in our group said, you know, Evelyn, you're not that much of a dynamite speaker. It's just that most women don't want to go get up and tell an ugly story like yours. (laughs) They'll help you to get some humility. Then we have a place in Washington that's 
known as the Magic Monastery. Each village and hamlet has one. The crazy house, the main crazy house, you know. But ours is known as the Magic Monastery of St. Elizabeth. He's got some friends on there. <laughs> and I say this about uh, the mental part of the illness. I spoke there one night, and for some reason I went in depth on the mental part of my illness. I don't know whether I was trying to impress them that I could identify or what. But when I got ready to leave, one of the patients was standing by the door, and he said, do you go home every night? <laughs> and I had been sober ten years. <laughs> you know, I didn't disrupt him. I said, yes. Because I guess he, you know, if he thought that way, I said, at least he understood me. You know. <laughs> Then another time I was addressing a group and I said, most of the people, that was at a prison. <laughs> well, then it was a, a rehab, a, sort of, but it was still a jail. And I said, most of the people here I know are alcoholics because I have not known of anybody claiming to be an alcoholic that isn't. And halfway through the program, the left section, right-hand section got up and left, and I've never had them leave in a group formation. They kind of sneak out one at a time, you know. So, come on, come on, you know, enough of that, enough of that. And I said, ah, they said, don't worry, Evelyn, they were ladies from the Lutheran church. And I would not be outdone. I said, I still believe there's some potential alcoholics in there. And then with tongue-in-cheek, uh, I want to say to the Alanons that you owe me and all of us alcoholics a vote of thanks because if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> I like to endear them to my heart. I've already taken my inventory. You don't have to take it. You know, you hear a lot of things in A, too, that I haven't read in the big book. You know, they just come out of nowhere. And one of them is, you don't take anybody's inventory, but you don't. I haven't ever seen that in the big book. Never. So I get around that by saying I don't take inventories, but I make close observations. <laughs> There's a way to get around everything, you know, and I do. But now, the, standing up here tonight, uh, it was rather difficult, though, after the gentlemen or the men speak, and then a woman gets up here and tells uh, the other end of the spectrum, you know, I feel like the before and after. Last night, Cecil told about the after. He told about the program. But I'm going to tell you how it was before the program. And I know some. <laughs> now I would also like to say this: that I never mean to be vulgar or common. And I know some people get very touchy after they've had a few days of dryness about profanity. So if I should use some profanity, don't get upset because if you don't know what profanity is, you won't know I used it, right? 
So there are a lot of changes in the miracle. You know, uh, I hear a lot of people say, now that I'm sober, I don't do this and I don't do that. And that's their story. And I believe they lie sometimes, but that's their story. <laughs> and let me tell you, now that I'm sober, I don't do a lot of things. But now let me tell you why I don't do them. First of all, I'm too scared to do them. Secondly, I'm too old to do them. Thirdly, anybody asking me to do them. <laughs> of course, we take no issue or controversy with outside issues, but at the last current, popular current events of the United States, that leads Cecil out of it, um, <laughs> there was some talk of harassment. And I was just trying to think, and some new member said to me, don't even let it enter your mind, Evelyn, about sexual harassment. I said, what do you mean? He said, the probably the only time you was ever sexually harassed was when the doctor brought you into the world and spanked you. <laughs> Teach his own. And I say that too because I can best I can, can describe myself as an alcoholic woman as one who when they said bottoms up, I didn't know they meant the glass. I was quite a social drinker. Every time you had a drink, so shall I. And then, too, prior to coming into the fellowship, when I was trying to find somebody that I thought was of lower echelon, it's hard to relate back when you thought so crazy, but for my mother's sake, you know, she was always looking out the window talking about... Oh, she's a nice little girl. Oh, she's a lovely person. Uh, she ought to be. She's running with everybody in the block. But so was I, but I wasn't getting anything. But that was neither here nor there, see. But I always had to bring them down some. So I really was looking around trying to find a woman that I felt was below me. Now, understand me, I felt. I didn't say was below me. I felt was below me. So finally, I ended with the women of the evening. Now, after I was sober quite, quite a while, too, it occurred to me <laughs> that the only difference was, well, I can best say it this way. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. <laughs> And I am twice blessed. I gave away things I didn't have to give away. And he gave them to people who didn't even want them. But I gave it to them anyway. Now don't you guys sit up there and try to look all smug. You know, many times you'd rather said nobody was right there, you know, so why pay us up a good opportunity? 
course, I try to redeem myself on that by using the word love. Well, you must admit, I know there are a lot of changes and things in the dancing, they dance separately and all, but I really wanted to be a part of someone, and I have not yet heard of anybody having any sexual relationships without being close, bodily close. Now, if they have, I haven't heard of it. So, you see, I thought that that was love. That's what I call love. I loved a lot of people, too, I might tell you that. And I thought they were in love with me, but that's, that's a whole other story. That's not, al- that's not a prerequisite for alcoholism, but it does help a lot. And I asked, because uh, I was just sitting next to him and I've annoyed him the whole meal through and I owe him this. I asked him, somebody I understand was not at all pleased with him speaking about a certain religious group last night. And I said, oh, now I'm going to have to delete some of my story. Because nothing annoys me any worse than the average male to get up and talk about a good Irish Catholic. What they did and what they didn't do. I demand equal rights. And I defy any Irish Catholic to outdo a black Baptist. The only difference is our church don't approve of it. But we can raise just as much hell, hear me? So give us that right. Oh, by the way, too, both of my grandfathers were ministers. And you hear most of us say we come from a good Christian home. I'm beginning to wonder if that's not a wrong way to raise a child. Since all of them come from a good Christian home. But in my young, like my grandmother, too, was more of a minister than my grandfather was. And all I heard was, what thou shalt not. Thou shalt not do this is a sin. Thou shalt not do that. To do anything but breathe on Sunday was a sin. So I said, well, what does one do that one enjoys? Since everything's a sin, they couldn't tell me. So I made a decision early in life that I was going to hell and why take any detours. You know what I mean? And I know there's a generation gap here for some. In fact, when I told at one meeting, when I first came into A, a little girl came up to me later and said, Gee, we said, you know what? You were so before I was even born. And thinking I was still 16, I said, to her, Yes, honey, and if you keep on talking, I'm going to be sober after you die. <laughs> And just to save some time for those of you who can't add like I can't, you saw me stand for 38 years, so you know I didn't come in here, they didn't wheel me in as an infant, so I'll save you some time, God willing, next month I'll be 72 years old, so you don't have to tell me. <laughs> anyway, you take this, this is a miracle. You hear me? I mean, I'm dressed tonight. You may not know it, 
Talking about accept the things you cannot change. I bought a very inexpensive pair of pantyhose. And for women who know it had two openings, I didn't know my leg was coming out a hole of the side, but... Fortunately, the dress is long. I have lost 35 pounds in the last year, and the same dress, this is the speaker's dress, you know, it goes from... <laughs> and when I tried it on tonight, I said, ooh, I didn't know I'd lost that much weight. I hadn't, it lasted was out of the waistband. <laughs> so if I come through there, I'm not streaking or not stripping, the elastic has given away altogether here. <laughs> but it was too late to make any changes. So, I, you know, I really had to say the serenity prayer, the long and the short version. We won't go into the short version because, you know, <laughs> but you know that one too. But anyway, I started drinking in high school for no other reason I know that it was wrong. And that's not much of a reason to start, but that's it, you know. I wanted to be part of the in crowd, you know. I was one of those who always said, let's get drunk and be somebody. I don't know what I was going to be. Whatever come in my mind, that's what I am. So uh, I also know that many of you didn't drink wine. I also know many of you lied, too. But <laughs> years ago, the wine was consisted at the lowest of the lowest of the alcoholics. Everybody said, I ain't drink no wine. I ain't drink no wine. That's a low life one. But I started with wine, and if you ever hear old blabbermouth like me and you knew, and you say, when are they going to shut up? If they go through the whole gamut of drinks and then say they started on wine, the story's almost over. But not mine. I started with wine, and I ended with wine, and in between I drank anything you bought. <laughs> I had my preferences, but I drank anything. All it had to have, only prerequisite, would it make you drunk. Not let's have a drink. I always say, let's get drunk. You know, I didn't know that. That's really what I was saying. Let's get drunk. I didn't get, let's just have a little drink. In fact, a little drink I didn't want, you know. And I see the pattern of alcoholism. Of course, I get all confused in my story because it's confusing. I can't tell it right there. <laughs> I know uh, that I showed tendencies towards alcoholism early in life. When we'd go out to a club and uh, dinner club maybe and they I wouldn't dare eat behind you because that was unsanitary but you know I look and we say well let's go on I said well you didn't finish your drink and they said well I tell we're going to another bar yeah but you paid for it and I'd go down the line and drink all the dinner <laughs> I didn't think that was alcoholism I thought that was being saving you know <laughs> and I want to tell I'm, I have nothing against the Alamance because I'm married a very active uh, drug addict, so I belong in Al- In fact, I've been in Al-Anon. But you know, uh, nothing is more discouraging than to me when I go on a 12-step call and the wife looks at me, and you notice usually it's the wife, the husbands have long been gone, and says, I just poured it down the toilet. I said, wait, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to pour it out just that he doesn't drink it. You know, I still have a healthy respect for alcohol. Now, don't get it wrong. I loved alcohol. And if I could, I would drink. But I can't. It's just that simple. You know, other, I don't turn my nose up at it. In fact, I'll tell you what a sensitive nose I have. I was in a Chinese restaurant about eight years ago. And, you know, their food has a very pungent odor. And uh, I said, an old-fashioned. I hadn't even turned around the girl. I said, 
Turner, how can you tell that's an old-fashioned? And I turned around, it was an old-fashioned. Now, when you can tell the smell from behind you, you know what alcohol is, right? <laughs> and then at our church, <laughs> we have grape juice. We are not one that believes it changes from water to wine. We know it's grape juice, but we, we have grape juice instead of wine. And uh, I'm always the one on the cleanup crew. And the girl said to me, you want to finish up the wine? Well, I knew it was grape juice. I said, sure. So I was standing there talking and holding the challenge. She said, Abner, will you hurry up and drink the wine? Now, that's a miracle. First time in my life anybody had to tell me, Evelyn, will you hurry up and drink the wine? <laughs> it was gone before you could turn your head. Whoop. You know how you hold your hand up and they say, say when? If you run all down my arm, I'm still holding my hand up. I know some people said they didn't like the odor, they didn't like the taste. I loved it. You hear me? Everything about it. The taste. You know, when it gets a long hand, it burns down in the gizzard. Mm. And you go, it crosses your eyes. That's a good drink. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I always live the program in reverse. I thank God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. In fact, you know, we have trouble with some of the people in the third step, you know, believing in the power of greater than stuff. They, they say, don't say the word God, it'll frighten them away. Now, I want to ask you something. You don't have to be of a religious persuasion. But have you ever heard anybody, especially an alcoholic in trouble, say, Oh, Lucifer? Oh, Satan? <laughs> it's, Oh, Jesus, oh, my God. Oh, Lord, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know one time I, one of the times, I, I made the bed more than one time, but one of the times I was making the bed, I turned the mattress over, and I was, I was a periodic drunk at that time. It was a time in between when I would stop drinking. But once I got started, we'd start all over again, and this time, I decided I'd clean up the room, you know. I don't have anything to drink. But as I turned the mattress over, there was a full half pint. I have never, never praised God like I did that night. I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but I got a religious conversion. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. God knows if you live right, you die right. I meant that I was happy, happy, happy. In fact, I was so happy when I come in three days later, I fell right on the springs. I hadn't even turned the mattress back. <laughs> Not to get my war straight, huh? <laughs> I was a child of World War One. Now, let's don't get it all mixed up. I know some of you young ones, what, what, what? World War Two. I went to work in a Philadelphia Navy Yard. 
Oh, and incidentally, I didn't want to be an alcoholic because to me an alcoholic was a skid row bone. And I must say in all fairness, and it was a male, a man up on the bower out a derelict out in California, all ragged and dirty, sleeping under wine bottles. I later found that all the men on the bowery were not alcoholics. And I remember my one prayer was, Oh God, I don't want to die like a bum. I don't want to stop drinking, but I don't want to die like a bum. <laughs> it's amazing just how, you know, the two things get so confused there. But anyway, I started working at the Philadelphia Navy Yard and my, I finished blueprint and drafting school, but they put me on as Rosie the Riveter. Plus the Navy was there. Oh, I did love the Navy. First of all, they got paid twice a month. They had no control with the money. The Army was slow. And the, the Navy was where it was. You know what? I was right there every payday. <laughs> Saluting. And... In fact, I signed up for the ways. But they couldn't take me till the next month, and I lost a lot of drinks there. So I said, no, I, I can't go. And they said, if you want to, you have to go to Hunter College. I couldn't wait that month. So I went on and became a USO hostess. An unpaid hostess, please. <laughs> of course, they did ask me to leave because they didn't like the way I danced. I was an interpretive dancer. I put things on your mind that you might not have had there. Suggestive dancer. But anyway, <laughs> it was here that I first met. I had never seen any black men that couldn't speak English. And I spoke to this soldier, and he smiled. And I saw he was friendly, but he kept smiling. And I later on found out he was Senegalese, French. And then he started babbling off in French. Ooh, you, hold it, hold it. But you'd be surprised how quickly you can learn the language <laughs> of love. I wee wee the see see and wee wee woo. Put your money where your mouth is, baby. Put it right there. I opened up a whole new bag of worms. <laughs> well, let me see now. That's enough of that. That certainly gives you some idea of what I was like. Uh, they say that alcoholism is a family illness. And incidentally, if I were to apply for a job in the, as an alcoholic, I would be overqualified. A stepdaughter of an alcoholic. I married a man who was addicted to drugs, and there were times, as I said, I could have been an alcoholic or an alateen. I have not heard of IA sending people to Al-Anon. It's usually reversed, but they got so tired of me and A to give them a break, they sent me to Al-Anon. Because every week I had a problem with my husband, a marital problem, you know. And, I would hold my hand up, just for example, you don't get this breed in here anymore, you know. They've come, they've been, well, de something decoded or sometime they get here. But I come right off the street, see, you know, rough, a, a diamond in the rough. It was so rough you didn't see them later under it. And I'll give you an example of the kind of member. Every Wednesday I had my hand up. They said there were no stupid questions in there, and I believed them. And they would look all down the table, you know. 
And this time they tried to ignore me, but it was a newer girl there. And she said, she's got her hand up. <laughs> they saw it. They said, yes, Evelyn. I said, you know, last week I told you all about my husband. And you all told me to let go and let God. And I was sincere. Now, really, I know you're going to laugh, but I was sincere. I said, well, that old bee down the street got him. She don't look like God to me. <laughs> and waiting for an answer. And they said, somebody will talk to you after the meeting. So then they made me the coffee pot. And they let me make the coffee, you know, wash the ashtrays. You know how they break you in on the ground floor, you know. So I said, hm, all these Old men sitting around here and got a young woman lifting this coffee pot and lifting this coffee pot. I'll show them. So one night I'll be late. And I was best coffee I've ever drank. <laughs> then you say, where have you been? They said, have some coffee, Evelyn. So I didn't do that anymore because if you knew, take these jobs and help. People spoke to me that would not have said anything to me other than that when I was sitting in with the group setting. But then I got so clean because I was such a dirty drunk that I became a Lady Macbeth and I was cleaning everything. The building wasn't cleaning up. I bought some Bethel pie, and I had some left over, so I cleaned the coffee pot with it. <laughs> I'm talking about miracles within the fellowship. Nobody got nasty and ugly. They made me secretary immediately. <laughs> I thought I was promoted. I had done such a good job. Now, let me tell you something. My last job from the government before I retired, I was secretary to the dean of college. And until yet, I can say it out loud now, and I don't know any shorthand. Of course, he thought my writing was shorthand, so he never questioned it. <laughs> I well remember, this was quite a while ago, when secretaries dressed like secretaries, and I bought a little white hat and some white short gloves, and a shorthand book, and I took minutes every meeting. Minutes at the AA meeting. And my sponsor looked. She said, don't put no names there. I said, oh, no, I know that. And I kept every meeting. Well, nobody stopped me because it kept me quiet. <laughs> but finally, I said, when do I get to read the minutes? Then they explained to me you didn't take minutes at AA meetings. See, I'm telling you about genuine love. Of course, I didn't know that they were making side debts that I couldn't make it. They said, why are you fool with her? I said to myself, hey, that child's got a wet brain. <laughs> she said, but she ain't hurting nobody. She tries. Let her have the coffee. And I thought I was super duper. Really, I had no idea. You know, I thought I had really added some class to But anyway, let's talk about... I got mixed up there. I got before and I, I was on there. Now, let me tell you how I got here. Took six states, six years. So I, I did that up the right way. You know, they said, uh, they say alcoholism is a family illness, and make no mistake about that, it is. The family made the decision. You know, it, it, in fact, it, everybody was making decisions for me, you know, and giving orders. In fact, it's so nice to stand up here and tell you my name is Evelyn. Because for years I was a pronoun. Where is it? Oh, Jesus, here it comes. Ooh! <laughs> Yes, it's sitting right here looking at me. 
You know, like you're not there, you know. And my mother be talking on the phone, and I'm laying kind of horizontal in front of her on the floor. And she's peeping over, yes, honey, it's laying right here. <laughs> and it better not come in here drunk tonight, I'm telling you. But So I had to get up and get drunk, you know. In fact, uh, one night they gave a New Year's Eve party, and I was upstairs sleeping. They didn't invite me. My poor little nephew, that's the worst thing he ever got. He came up there and flushed the toilet and woke me up. <laughs> a shadow went through the house. Who woke her up? Oh, well, oh, <laughs> And I said, am I the only one drunk? It's drunk. But now I see you hurt everybody that loves you. I used to say that my mother looked at me like she hated me. And the truth of the matter is she did hate what she saw. So it got to, as I said, they were giving orders, drop dead, go to hell, get out of my sight. Evelyn, go. Evelyn, just go. You know, she hates it. Just get nervous. And she, she imagined it was around my throat, you know. And then she'd get to weeping, well, oh, I don't know what I did to get a child. This God knows I tried, I tried. You know how they go on, you know. Or your grandmother would turn over in her grave. My mother, grandmother's a world in Derbyshire. I know she is. Oh, but let me go back a little further on part of the story because I have certain parts that are requested. And I know I said, and they said, David, you didn't tell about that. Now, we hear about blackouts, right? Now, and maybe this was a semi-blackout, I don't know, short-term blackout. But I have very large feet that go with my body. But just recently I started wearing shoes to fit my feet because I thought the smaller the shoe, the cuter you looked. I didn't know the more weird you looked at your face was so contorted with pain. <laughs> but I used to come in and I was one of those drunks got all dressed up to get drunk. You see those kind of women, false eyelashes, false hair. Sometimes I'd have so much false hair, I'd throw it back. I thought it was my foot off one night. <laughs> feathers and false eyelashes glitter. You know. Let the good times roll. The queen is here. You know, all that kind of stupid talk. So this is towards the end of my drink, and that even going to instruct me on how to act at a party. They got my face between. They really didn't want me to go, but I overheard them, so they had to invite me. They said, now look, Ev, listen. This is going to be a nice party. Please go, don't go down there and show your rear. Oh, I got insulted. I said, you know, I got class I haven't even used. I haven't even used it yet. I didn't find it, you know, yet. Anyway, I got all dressed. Duh. And the Statue of Limitations of Paris, I know it paid for those clues or not. I was charged. You know, I was like the charge of light brigade. Every place I went, cash a charge. Charge, 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 charge. <laughs> That's a part. That doesn't go in your inventory, but it should. Because that is a character defect, you know. But anyway, I never will forget I came back and I had these red patent slippers. And I came in, but usually what I do is come in and let you see my shoes. And because I had such large feet, they were usually expensive. You couldn't get cheap, big shoes. <laughs> so then I'd take them off and say I was the barefoot contessa. <laughs> but this night I was trying so hard to make an impression. This is about the first drink. See, I had a couple of beers. Put a, you know, to get myself together. You know how you have to be just right when you get there, mellow, in case they're slow, you know, serving. <laughs> 
You know how you get the butterflies. You know, you run into a party late, and they try to talk. You say, wait, 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 wait. Ellen, wait a minute. I got to go to the kitchen and get a Google. What'd you say? You know, you have to get settled. So I had put a few under my belt when I got there. And I excused myself to go to the ladies' room. Somehow I got mixed up. And when I came back downstairs and I used to smoke not only long, Jimmy Finza smoked up, had a cigarette holder, you know, a lady. I always wanted to be that sophisticated lady, you know, the famous Duke wrote about, with the tall glass, stemmed glass. Somehow it got around to a mayonnaise jar, I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> I always wanted to be drinking out of a cocktail glass, you know, holding it up, you know. So I came down and I sat down across my legs and I said, may I have a light? And even the women start looking. I said, damn, I didn't know I looked that good. <laughs> now, I must have had a mini blackout, because what had happened was, instead of taking off my shoes, the only thing I had on was my shoes. They always ask for that one. Then another one was, uh, I fell in this woman's rock garden. I don't think it was much bigger than this, but uh, I didn't feel none of those little pretty pink flowers. All I felt was the rocks. And I was trying to get out of it. And here she comes to the door. You better get out of my rock garden. Uh-huh. She said, if you don't get out of there, I'm calling the police. And I wasn't trying to be nasty. I said, I wish you would. And I meant that I wanted to get out your rock garden. And she was very insulted. I don't know, you know, you know how you, they say your brain tells the body what to do, but somehow the alcohol blocked that part. You know, my mind wanted to do certain things, but my body didn't follow. You know how they say, come on, let's cross the street. And you get there and you can't cross, you're like one of them little toys that kids play with that don't go over, you go back. And, <laughs> and you grin and you laugh and you look at the person because they want to, you know what you want to do, but they don't, see. You want to cross the street. And finally they cross and you walk right beside them and they look, <laughs> you know, it's terrible like that. You know, you say, come on, come on, we can get together. We can, we can make it, you know. And then you can't. In fact, I used to say, I think, <laughs> The worst enemy a woman alcohol has, alcohol has, is another woman. And I'll tell you why. Most of the neighborhoods always had a crazy Mary. I didn't know they were alcoholics then, but they were back, way back generations. The women would get drunk and get buck naked and run down the street with a candle. They had become religious to crazy Mary. They was drunk. I didn't know that then. <laughs> but as I'm saying... So I almost lost the point there talking about the crazy ones. But I know this, it, I hate to say this hurts me, but it's still a man's world. You know, if Mr. Jones goes down the go street, street and he's drunk and he comes out the next couple of days with a clean shirt or a tie, most of his buddies will say, man, you really tied one on the other night. You want to get your stuff together. But now you let Mrs. Jones come down that street drunk. 
Now, who talks about her? Another woman. Because I know because I did the talking. I said, that is a disgrace. I said, she ought to be ashamed of herself. God knows if I ever staggered down the street, I certainly would stop drinking. And I certainly lied. I didn't know that. Because it was before it was all over, I staggered down the street. I ran down the street. You ever had one of them running drunks where you run for and you, you got to, You don't ever fall, but you know you rocking. I've got knocked down the street. And sometimes I just laid on the street. I got tired. So, you know, don't say what you won't do. Keep on drinking and you will. I have it to say to you, if you are an alcoholic and you come in here and say you, one, you sit too much then. But if you're dumb enough to say you had a blackout, don't waste no time talking about what you didn't do. Say what you don't think you did, here. Yeah? <laughs> and don't worry about your anonymity because somebody else there knows about you. They don't know whether you're drunk, but they know something's wrong with you. And if you don't believe that, as long as I've been without a drink, one of our groups was meeting for a new, at a new church, and they were sitting there making the financial arrangements with the minister, and one of the deacons went through, and somehow they mentioned my name, and the deacon said, oh my God, you all ain't talking about that old loud mouth having church to wake the Navy on, are you? That was 37 years ago. Now, his name, if my name rang out there after 30 years, you know, not need to be talking about my anonymity. In fact, I'm kind of glad to say, tell you what's wrong with me, because for years nobody knew, you know. Even my grandmother, who I know loved me, said to my mother one time, Helen, something's wrong with that child. She didn't know what, you know, but they knew from little kid up that everything wasn't hitting on the right age. So, uh, all right, now that's enough. Now, how did I get here? I said, six states. Philadelphia, of course, I did quite a bit of drinking in Atlantic City. That's a lovely place for drinking. 24 hours, the first time I went to the bar, stay open 24 hours. I tried to hold my eyes open. Oh, I, I, oh, oh, I hated to go to sleep. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't understand. I left my two front teeth down there. My foot slipped off of the brass bar, brass rail, and I fell down and knocked them out. And the doctors, they enabled us too, because the doctor said it was nervous exhaustion. I stayed those two weeks on sick leave, nervous exhaustion. I was drunk. New York. New York, New York. Took me 20 years to get downtown. I mean, to see parts of New York. I never got any further than 125th and Lenox Avenue. And I'd come out, oh, I was in New York. I'm on the hill. I was up there, you know, to all dolled up with this hat with the veil and the bird and his tail was a feather that swung around like that. And oh, I was so glamorous that night. I lit a cigarette and put the veil on fire, the hat, the bird caught on fire. Well, I was an action drunk, you know. I liked action. You know, when I wasn't dancing or performing, one time I got drunk and Chris put a holly wreath on my head and lit a candle and run down the bar and said, they start the Olympics early, you know. <laughs> I wanted attention. I got the wrong kind, but I wanted it. So I you know, was always in the limelight, always. But as I said, the family got in this one. They decided that yours truly to go to Marblehead, Massachusetts. Now, any of you know anything about Marblehead 40 years ago, I'm sure it might be the same. Very wealthy suburban area of Boston. 
At the time I was there, was only two blacks in the town, me and the cook. And I say that because that's true, first of all. But secondly, the family sent me because they didn't understand alcoholism. And they thought I wouldn't have anybody to socialize with. Plus, most of the people there was wealthy, were millionaires and all, so they thought that settled the whole problem. I wouldn't have anybody to drink with, and it would help. My prospective employer was an alcoholic. And that was like throwing an old rabbit in the bar patch. In fact, we lived in this beautiful estate named Thornhead. It was our backyard was the bay or something, and the nearest neighbor was in Harlem. It was beautiful. I hated every moment of it. The birds, they sang early. It's never worse than that with a hangover. And when it snowed in October, you didn't see the ground again until May, you know. And it was raw and beautiful and awful and awful. He drank scotch and I drank whatever I could. So I didn't make too much money because the time I tried to replace his scotch. But what I'm saying is this. I thought it was my house, I'll tell you the truth. I was the upstairs maid and uh, people said to them, Oh, Mrs. Mars, your upstairs maid has such a personality. The upstairs maid was drunk most of the time. Because <laughs> when the guests would come, I said, Would you care for a cocktail? Of course, I'd had two. And then I had some more with them. There was two couples came that no matter how many times I offered them a drink, they refused. But now after a while, even I had to stop fixing drinks. And I made the mistake of asking them, did they ever drink? Never, never ask members of Alcoholics Anonymous if they ever drank. They always had time to hold a meeting. They like to talk to me sober. I said, oh, God, I wish I hadn't asked them. So that's where I first heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. I came back and I read about, I think, the Jack Alexander story. At that time, I was putting water in my employer's whiskey, or maybe it was ahead of this. I get the story mixed up here, but always I identified with the alcoholic. So I told him, Gee, when I go home, I'm going to tell Daddy about it. Daddy was my stepfather, and I say that with all sincerity. I did not suffer because he was my stepfather. I suffered because he was an alcoholic. And I truly cared about him. And many times, truth comes in miracles in many different ways. Some might have to die that others can live. And it was through trying to find help for Daddy that I found AA. And I went, much like they say you're supposed to go, I went on my own in Philadelphia in 1948. And had I stayed, I would have been able to stand with that first lady, but of course I was not an alcoholic. I was too young, I was too glamorous. When I get that old and do that much, I'll be back. I first attended a member of the Tioga group in Philadelphia since moved. After I left, they moved and took the name with them way across town. But Anyway, I never forget that first meeting. There was a priest in uniform and a policeman in uniform. I sized that one up real quick. 
said, if one didn't get you, the other one did. But backing up a little bit, when I went down to headquarters, which incidentally then was on St. James's Place in South Philadelphia, and of course I've always been a sentimental ass, not a sentimentalist, a sentimental ass. And I would say, I'm going to any St. James infirmary, I was going to die literally. And, but I went there with a big lie on my face. And first of all, he didn't ask me what a lovely young thing like me was doing there. I thought that was strange. So I said to Neil, I am, I drink a little too much, a little wine and beer. If you call a half a gallon of dark port with as much ram's hair there, if you can wash it down with a little, okay, a little. And I never forget, he sat up there with these steel, cold blue steel eyes, steel blue eyes, and said to me, yes, I know they're the ones you have the most trouble with. I thought, blow it out your nose. You know, I thought that they had varying degrees of treatment for the alcoholic, and that he was going to put me in an elementary class, and then I was going to graduate. So, anyway. I went to Washington, nation's capital, and I got there, and you know, filled up his state stores, and so you have to pass at least 20 bars to get to the state store, so the time you get to the state store, you ain't got no more money, and you're drunk. <laughs> but when I got to Washington, first of all, they sold half pints, and you could get it at every corner. I said, my God, I should have been here. Then they had... Blue Tuesdays. Now, I always had a Blue Monday. Now, we've got Blue Monday and Blue Tuesdays. That don't leave much of a work week there when you got to recuperate on Wednesday. Now, I get in Thursday and Friday, you know. In fact, when I did leave the government, I was a year. I had to work a year longer because I had a year with all the annual and sick leave. I had a year of leave without pay, you know. I was a very sickly person. In fact, the boss called me in one day and said, Miss Turner, because you're using quite a bit of sick leave. I said, uh, yes, you know, women have illnesses that are not peculiar to me. You know how clever you are when you're drunk. <laughs> and I didn't know you had my record there, and it was in red where I was. So he said, Miss Turner, you sick every Monday? Every, after every holiday? After every payday? I said, yes, I think I'm going through an early menopause. <laughs> Well, anyway, I did, I knew something was wrong. I mean, just try to get ahead of take too much time now. But I thought, I had no problem with craziness. In fact, I thought two of the worst things that could befall anybody was blindness and insanity. Remember, always quote more milking on my blindness. And I know when I was a child, I think they put glasses on me when I opened my eyes. And they told me if you wear them now, you won't have to wear them when you get older. You know, the next one should be a C&I dog, because you get sicker each time. But in trying to tell you about the miracle of things, last year wasn't one of the best years, and yet it was a good year. I had five surgical procedures on my right eye with a detached retina and everything else, except blindness. In fact, I only see half of you now, and the other, other, about a third. And I remember coming back, and I told a little girl, she says, Oh, what did you have, glaucoma? I said, No, I said, I had a detached retina. She said, Oh, gee, we said, have, you know, it's always a little young girls that come up to me with these. She said, Isn't that what the fighters get? I said, Don't you listen to my story? <laughs> Do you listen carefully? 
I was one of those active drunks that was always inviting you. Come on, hit me. Hit me. Hit me. Hit me. <laughs> I wish you would. And they would. And I'd get them and say, you sure got a nasty attitude. So they wore that out. In fact, I asked the doctor what was the matter. Why was it like that? He said, oh, Miss Tyner, you're getting older and your eyes well. I said, oh, my, both my eyes are the same age. But I forgot that they had beat on this one a little more. I haven't been able to accept it with serenity yet because I don't, I'm not too good at accepting love or giving love. I want to, but I'm not too good at it. One, to be a lady, you think I'd be glad for somebody to help me up somewhere, but to have to stand there at night and ask the girl to help me down the stairs. Great queen wasn't a great queen, and I kind of shut it for a moment. I'm working through it. But it's not as easy as it is. I know I, I could be blind. I don't have to have any faith. But that sometimes there's a great distance between acceptance and serenity. You understand me? You accept, but the serenity is a long time coming. They say God don't close one door; they open another. But there's a hallway, and sometimes that gets drafted. You know? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I'm way over. But now. Let me say this. I thought the whole answer to my problem was the psychiatry. In between here, one, somebody told me, said, oh, when you get old and get married, you'll change. So I heard and got married, and I married a man very active with drugs. And I'll tell you how dumb I was about drugs. I thought he had such dreamy eyes. I said, you see the way he looks at me so cool? He didn't see me. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing about that marriage. First time both in-laws were right. His family said I wasn't worth a damn. And my family said he wasn't worth a damn. And they were both right. We deserved one another. And just to hurry up with this story, when it comes to making amends, my family and friends thought I did not owe him any amends. But I tell you now, and long time coming, I didn't get the principles of the program maybe as quickly as others. But I did owe him some amends. He loved me as much as he could. Maybe it wasn't a Hollywood type of love or the storybook type of love, but he loved as best he could. And that's all God asks of any of us. And so therefore, I always have, even though I have divorced him, a tender spot, I always look around and hope sometime, at some meeting, I will see him, and he too will have come into the program. But this... I to get too serious, you know, it upsets me. Because I say this, when I say he loved me as much as he could, I didn't realize that till I got here and I went through the 12 steps in a hurry and got on the step 13 and went into a lot of difficulty. Some of you know those step 13. <laughs> and I know it's a man's world and I give you credit for that. But now let me say something to you. I've had the men say to me, hmm. 
I don't want no alcoholic woman. I'm sick enough myself. I want to ask you what do you think you have to offer. <laughs> you know, we ain't running off with no prizes with you. Just had to say that. It kills me, but I love to say it. <laughs> but anyway, as I said, I went to the psychiatrist for two years. And thousands of dollars later, he, he told me in the beginning he didn't think I was an alcoholic. The man talked. For maybe an hour or more, I don't know what else he said. But I know when my money ran out, his time ran out about the same time. And he sent me to the alcoholic clinic. Now, I don't think you send most patients, you know, that are not alcoholic, non-alcoholic to alcoholic clinic. But, you know, I went to him and I used to go early and stay late because I wanted to see what another crazy person looked like that was focusing, working. And of course he had his things so arranged I never did get to see one. And I'm going to try to, for Andy, to tie all of this in because what I'm trying to tell you about the miracle, everything I looked for, I have found in A. I was looking for companionship, love and understanding, or people that I could identify with. And I paid those thousands. I don't say I wasted it. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, the psychiatrist didn't do this. I asked him later on. He said, well, Miss Turner, AA awaits a crisis and psychiatry precipitates to precipitate a crisis. I said, don't you lose some? He said, yes, we do. So what happened was every time I'd go to him and try to stifle something, he'd bring something else up and I drank more. So he helped me to get to a bottom quicker. I know that's a roundabout way, but that's factual. In fact, I tried to end my life several times, and I don't know if something was, if I really wanted to die, or if I was just trying to bring attention that something was wrong. To tell you the truth, one time I was going to commit suicide, but I wanted to easier, softer way there. So I was going to drown, you know, because somebody said when you drown, you see all the beautiful things before you come out in a beautiful green technicolor. So I was going to this bridge and I fixed the right spot because I knew with my luck I'd jump off into a branch and break my hip and not walk no more. So I finished off the pint and I held a funeral service and I laid there and thought of all the people, how they was going to feel so bad, especially my mother. And I was going, man, you should have talked nicer to me when I was alive. I mean, I was gone. Over. I was over, over, over. And I had all, I read up on it too. I heard that a real, someone you meant to really die, you didn't write a, any notes. So I finally, I got it all set down. I finished the drink and I got to the door to go jump off the bridge. But it was raining. And I didn't want to get wet. Now, if I don't identify as something, something's wrong with you. And you just decide where, what it is, you know. But anyway, I'd like to say this. Finally, how I got back to AA. I had a friend, and I've always had two friends, but I didn't know them as friends. Because a friend is someone who loves you unconditionally, but does not necessarily give you your way. And I wrote to this girl in Washington, and she said to me, Well, Evelyn, if you really want to work, there's a lot of work here in Washington, and I won't have to pay any more rent. If you come, you can share my apartment, and the money I eat out with, maybe we can eat together. I came to Washington on a Friday night, 
And she had not seen me for many years since she graduated from college and she moved to the island. And she told people there, they said, what's your friend like? And Smith, she said, oh, she's not a very beautiful person, she said, but she has a great personality and she's very well dressed. And I come down there and I sewed up her coat, looking like who would have thought off of a wine, drunk with the wine, each and all. And in fact, I like to insert this too for the new members. And I hope the little young man that's here for two days doesn't go back out. But if you do go back out, don't fool with no vodka and scotch and stuff. Go get you a half a gallon of dark wine. It'll bring you right back. <laughs> right back. <laughs> you get these dumb arguments and they somebody say, how could they say there's a disease? A disease changes tissue. Dark pork will change tissue. <laughs> Your lips will get fatter, your eyes will get blacker, your color will change, you will itch more, you'll have more diabetes. It's a very active drink. <laughs> so I came down with the wine, each and all, and here again, and I'm saying this because I was one of those that had a great deal of trouble with the God of my understanding, because the God that I had been introduced to as a child was a God of judgment. And if they spoke of love, I didn't hear it. I don't want to say that they didn't but I did not hear it. So I rebelled against that, but I say it now because as I look back, I don't see how I could have missed him. Because as I said here with his friend, God works through his people. Many times I said the only mistake he made in the world was putting people in it, but I maybe not, because that's the only way we can... I can see God in nature, but sometimes when his people open their mouth, I wonder, you know. But anyway, this last time I almost made the suicide, I was put in observation, what well, to say, war tank. And I had known through my religious background that the one unforgivable sin was to try to take one's own life, and yet in my desperation, and I think we've all come to that moment, Well, you're tired of living and get it, but you're scared of dying, and you don't have any choice. So I tried to go out, and I almost went out. But when I came out of the hospital, I went back to the psychiatrist. And as I said, I'm not Catholic by faith, but I lit enough candles to set the world on fire. And at that time, all of the priests, the priests were dedicated, and the churches were opened. And wherever I moved in the neighborhood, I always found out where the nearest liquor store was and where the nearest Catholic church, because I knew I was going to have need of both. And the last time I went to see a priest, he said, and Miss Turner, you're sitting here talking about your friends. And this is the first time I've seen you, he said. And anybody would give you a drink is not your friend. And I thought, you know, that's why he's a priest and I'm a, a drunk, because he don't know nothing about drinking. That's how you determine a friend. Somebody will give you a drink. And I'm saying that because he also taught me the Hail Mary. By the time I got to A, I had forgotten any formal prayers. I'd go to say the Lord's Prayer and say my grace. But I'm saying this too because when I got sober, I wanted to find this priest and I wanted to thank him for the help he'd been. Many of them had been, but him especially. And I remember asking some of the members of the group, had they ever seen this priest? And they said, no, he moved away. But one night, 
And that gentleman is here now from Washington. He came up to me and said, Evelyn, did you ever find, and I can use his name now, Father Went, because he since died. Father Went was sitting in the back of the room and I went back and I said, do you remember me? He says, no shit, because if I had, I should have come in with you. I'm talking about the illness and the miracle, not your station in life. Here was a priest. I met a nun who was in a convent for 18 years. I've met a countess, you know, in the book, a star fellow. I've met her. I've met many people. People that I would not have met if I had not been in the fellowship. That's I met one since I've been here. And I never thought I'd meet myself head on. But for many of you that know little Elizabeth down the table. <laughs> that is a tolerance tester, child, I tell you. She'll put you in a closer conscious contact with God. She waddled up to me with something and I didn't know it was her husband. And I said to the gentleman, where's that little loud woman? He said, she just went around the corner and then I found her it was his wife. You see, so it's a lot of love here. <laughs> but very seldom do I take the women, especially old women. Nothing get on my nerves worse than an old woman. <laughs> but I truly, truly have fallen in love with Elizabeth. That's no lie. You know, she, she just goes, goes on you. <laughs> but anyway, I called a to make a long story short, and in 1953, I had neither electric nor gas, even though I was gainfully employed at Washington Naval Gun Factory. They say you get what you need, not what you want. It would have been, certainly, much more enjoyable to have drank coffee made from boiling the water rather than thicket water, instant coffee. It had been more comfortable to have read the literature by electric rather than candlelight. But I had the one thing I needed, and that was a telephone. And it was through here that I contacted my sponsor. And I'm so old, everybody's dead. She's since gone too. But I always think of that ad of, when you care enough to send the very best. And to me, AA sent me the very best. She was by professional remedial reader teacher, and she knew just how to treat people like me. She is a cow, I and mean, draw a picture of a cow, you know, you couldn't get, ha, 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 and she's close enough, have And of course, I could go on, on, don't get nervous, I'm not going to. But I'd like to close with this, because to me, there are many big books, and suddenly there was what I may call one of the original big books, because I don't want to get in any hassle with religion here now. And I don't know, perhaps another time, another place, there'll be a bigger fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know, especially I speak mainly to the new woman alcoholic. If you men can listen and help, okay. But I think the woman alcoholic suffers just a little bit more because society is so set up like that. We're not easily forgiven. In fact, it's not always easy to forgive yourself. I perhaps have emotional scars that I'll carry to my grave. I'm sure that the great master has forgiven me, but I find it difficult.
You see, if you don't forget, you haven't forgotten. You're not forgiven, or you don't forgive, but anyway. If you're wondering, well, what's the use? Sure, you'll get sober, and then what? There's a lot of things. You've heard of the miracles. But I want to tell you about some women. For all I knew, <laughs> that might have been some anonymity, because all of these women were named Mary. And one of them, when the great teacher met her by the well and asked her who was her husband, and she explained to him, no, this was not her husband that she was with. When I drank, I could have been that woman at the well. Then a little in another part, he meets a woman that they were going to stone because of her loving her brothers. And certainly, I could have been that woman. But the woman that I most closely would like to identify with, and I think most of the women in here do, and I had to correct this because I had a Bible student that read and said, he didn't write in on that evening, he walked in, so I, somebody else don't correct me, the story is the same, I told him so, the meaning is the same, what cares what he walked in or called in. <laughs> no, never say die. But as a great teacher rode through crowd. This woman, too, had been sick a long time. No doctors could heal her. Nothing could heal her. But she had some faith. And she pushed through the crowd and said, Oh, God, I could just touch, just let me touch the hem of his garden. And I'll be made whole. And the great master, being who he was, said, Somebody touch me. And I want to ask you, didn't that somebody touch you? Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.